Uh, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm Angie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Welcome to the 9 a.m. marathon meeting. My name is Angie. I'm a compulsive overeater and your leader for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off or paused. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed by OA members. This meeting is being recorded by Region 2. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format for this one-hour session is as follows. I will read an excerpt from a piece of OA literature, share for 25 minutes, followed by three-minute shares from those who wish to share. The topic for this session is living the miracle. Uh, The following is a reading from OA 12 and 12, page 100. We're no longer afraid of food either because we are no longer controlled by it. The glorious fact for most of us is that God has lifted the food obsession from us. Freed of the obsession and restored to sanity, today we choose not to eat self-destructively. We have new ways of coping with our problems now and new practices which which make living a positive, joyful experience most of the time. If we should again crave more food than we need, we know we can find relief in the steps instead of compulsive overeating. I will now briefly qualify and share my experience, hope, and hope on the topic. Okay, again, I am Angie. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I am going to 25 minutes. And I am, you might give me a warning like when I have 10 left. That, oh, yeah, perfect, perfect, right on target. And Lori's going to start uh, passing my pictures around. Um, I came into Overeaters Anonymous in September of 1978, and I decided to do something different this morning. I decided to start with, um, this is going to be like a flashback movie. Um, I love this thing of living the miracle, and I'm going to tell you what my life is like today. I am going to tell you the thing that I am most embarrassed to tell you, the very thing, because I am so afraid you will hate me. I am so happy. I am 66 years old, and I think I look pretty good for my age. Um... I am married to a man I've been that I think is wonderful. I've been uh, happily married for over ten years. Um, it's embarrassing. I travel all over the world. Um, I am so busy. My biggest challenge is keeping up my calendar and figuring out how much time in between trips and getting my pictures together from the last trip and scheduling other great things that I want to do. I am not afraid to go anywhere. Um, I, well, I have lots of fears, but I'm not afraid of the food. You know, I, I don't go to foreign countries alone. But, uh, I, but I'm not afraid to go because of the food. Um, I have more friends than I can keep up with. Um, I have an awesome relationship with my daughter. 
I, um, what else? I guess that's enough of that. Um, I'm going to get to see my sister uh, next month for the first time in four years because she had a psychotic breakdown and didn't want to see me. And now I'm going to get to see her, and this is from, so that's, that's the stuff. Okay. Now, this kind of sounds like one of your normal friends that you would love to hate, doesn't it? And, you know, it's been really hard for me in program to, like, really own the good in my life. So what I want to tell you is that I went from someone, now how do I go back to the other part? When I got to program in 1978, um, I weighed about what I weigh today, and I felt kind of suicidal about my weight. This is how much an attitude can change. Um, I got to my top weight in program. I gained, um, in 1980, I gained 38 pounds in six months because uh, I quit smoking and I couldn't stop eating. And I was lucky to have stayed sober because I didn't want to go to those other meetings anymore because there were too many men there and they might look at me. Somehow, I went from that to somebody who would belly dance in public repeatedly. I can't tell you how that happened except for OA. Um, I call a sponsor five days a week. Um, I have a food plan, which I weigh and measure my food that I follow about 95% of the time. I am recovering from perfectionism. Um, if I have a bad day, a bad night, or I do, I'm accountable to my sponsor, and I get right back on the horse. So I would say that since around June of 1978, of 1990, I have not overeaten at the lethal level. It has been really hard for me because of my perfectionism to claim any recovery. People say that you have to work, you have to put the food down before you can work the steps. If I were waiting to put the food down before I could work the steps, I would still not have worked the steps because I would have never thought that I put the food down good enough. My physical recovery has to do with the fact that I am keeping off um, 25 something like, I don't know, doesn't really matter, it's probably in the book, from my top weight, um, and that I did not gain weight during the periods of time and ages when so-called normal people are gaining weight. I didn't gain an ounce. Um, I went through menopause. I... Oh, gosh, 2011 was quite a year. I, I went through menopause. My father died. My mother died. I moved. I was mugged. I was thrown down um, half a flight of stairs, and I fell in love all in the same year. And then there was 9-11. That was kind of traumatic for, you know. So, um, and here's the thing, is that I know how to eat. Is there anybody here who doesn't know how to eat? Okay. Well, I will tell you that I, in the very beginning in program, when I was relapsing all the time, I was at a camp out. I'll just tell you this one thing, just so you know that I'm one of you. And there was this outhouse that smelled so bad that people were going to the bathroom in the bushes. And um, one day I was in this outhouse with peanut M&Ms. Sorry if that triggers you. At least you're in a place full of support. Um, with peanut M&Ms in my pocket eating the peanut M&M's in the outhouse, and I had this light bulb moment uh, that, wow, 
you're eating peanut M&Ms in an outhouse that smells so bad that people are going to the bathroom in the bushes. That's really sick. Now, did I stop eating because of that? No. I went back to Whittier, and I went into Bob's Big Boy, and, you know, I had the Last Supper syndrome. I've had so many Last Suppers that, you know, I should have risen to heaven by now. Uh, I went into Bob's Big Boy, and I went in there, and I will not swear tell you what I really said because I'm being taped, I understand. But I went into Bob's Big Boy, and I sat at the counter, and I said, let me have one of those blankety-blank little hot fudge cakes. And the waitress looked so shocked. She said, well, anyway, she looked at me like, who's paying you to eat this stuff? And did I quit eating? No. So that's that. Um, so I went from someone, you know, I think I needed to spend my 30s being overweight. I really do. I think I needed the healing. Um, I have always, I've done so many inventories. I mean, I just didn't get to this happy state by accident. I've done every inventory there is to do. Um, I've been in year-long big book workshops led by a single individual, heavy, intense work on three separate occasions. So during my 30s, I think that I needed to be alone. I really do. Um, I didn't date much. It was what I call frustrating, intermittent, you know, maybe a date a year and then alone. I was alone for like four and a half years, six and a half years, long, long periods of time. I lived in my favorite place in the world, Seal Beach, and I was afraid to walk down the street. I was afraid to leave my house um, because there was a candy store on Main Street. And I would spend Sundays with the drapes drawn. And I just want to say that compulsive overeating um, is the disease that really diminishes our lives. And that part makes me really sad. I never thought that I could uh, have a healthy relationship with a man. And so I went from that to... Um, it's kind of a long story how my husband and I ended up getting together, but I remember thinking, you know, I used to do all kinds of things where men were. I even worked at the fire department 10 years at headquarters, you know. I never dated anybody from there. I, I went out dancing all the time. I did all kinds of things, and I would, like, you know, force myself to do it sometimes. And eventually it just ended up that most of the things I enjoyed doing were with women, um, the belly dance community was mostly women. The husbands get bored quickly. Um, and then I was going to this one morning meeting, and I said, you are never going to meet anybody in that program because there's nobody at that Sunday morning meeting. And my husband and I were friends, and we were friends for a couple of years, and then we started dating, and we ended up, you know. So I, and, and I share the next thing because – so I went from someone – who, and we got involved in a couple's community. So I went from someone who didn't think that I could have a healthy relationship, and he had a miserable relationship history as well. We both had a lot of pain, periods of aloneness. And um, we started going to this couple's community, and we saw other people who were having healthy relationships. We got inspired. We started giving service. And we went from people who thought that they couldn't have a healthy relationship to people who felt like they had something to give to the new couples coming into our group to feeling compelled to write a book. And I only share that because, th to me, that's a miracle, to go from that place to the other to where we were willing to spend two years of our lives out of service to share our experience, strength, and hope 
in working spiritual programs, first on ourselves and then together to have a healthy relationship. I'll talk to you about my work area. In uh, about 1979, I went on a job interview, um, cried in the hiring interview, told them I was an alcoholic, and they offered me a job. <laughs> now, I was, it wasn't what I wanted. It was two levels down of where I had been when I left the county, and this is a total example of surrender. It was a silly little mental health clinic far beneath me, um, 10 blocks from my house. It only had about 14 employees. It did not have the kind of positions that I really wanted. But I said, you know, nobody cries in a hiring interview and tells them they're an alcoholic. So it must be God's will for me to take this job. And uh, even if it isn't, clearly I'm not emotionally equipped to go on any more hiring interviews. <laughs> So I took this job, and that job ended up growing into the kind of job that it took a college degree to get. Until when I left county service, I was the chief of human resources for the district attorney's office for L.A. County with no college degree. And I remember, I mean, I was signing, I had gone from, you know, at one point in my life, I had four or five Oh, there were misunderstandings, but four or five, some kind of arrests for drunk driving related things like that to somebody who's signing off on backgrounds for people who are going to be prosecutors for L.A. County. That last year that I worked there, which was the year my father died, my, it was 2011. Or, you know, did I say 2011? I meant 2001. Yeah, that was the big year. 2011 is very recent. Anyway, I was mentoring this young woman who, and I was not in that good a shape after my parents died. I really wasn't. I didn't feel like I could concentrate. I was mentoring this young woman who was brighter than I would ever be, who looked up to me. And um, one day she was in my office, and I told her, I said, do you want to know how I got where I am, um, how I got this job, really, with no college degree, is that, number one, I could write. It was just a gift. It was something I was given. And number two, I didn't tell people to F off and die when I felt like it. <laughs> so that number two, I learned in program. Restraint of tongue and pen. Praying for people that I had resentments for. I had to pray for the first boss who gave me my really big break. I prayed for her a lot. I barely managed my, um, my resentment because she almost didn't give me that break. Um, but because of program, I was able to behave. Um, so a couple weeks later, this young woman came into my office, and I was telling her, oh, those investigators. I felt like telling them such and such and so and so. And she said, ah, but Angela, secret of success number two. And I forgot what I had told her <laughs> that about not telling people off. And uh, it really cracked me up. Sometimes I can't believe I say things. Um... So let's see. What do I want to talk about? <sighs> I talked about my physical recovery is about keeping off that weight, not gaining my weight. You know that I have run into people over the years who dropped out of OA who had gained 100 pounds since I last saw them. And I know that that could be me. Um, a dear friend of mine died in OA. There were four or five people at her funeral who had gained 100 pounds since I had last seen them. And one of them said, darn her. 
she would have to die when I was fat. And you'd have to know this woman, and we all just, you know, really laughed. But that could be me. That could be me. Um, The fact that I am having a full life today for me is a complete and total miracle. Because I'll tell you that I was really trapped in that disease, in that self-obsession, in that self-pity, in that finish this sentence. Um, When I'm thin, I'll go to the beach. When I'm thin, I'll do this. When I'm thin, I'll do that. Um, And for me, I remember thinking, when I'm thin, I'll get a red coat. So what does that tell me? That whatever that thing is, whatever that blank is, I needed to do that now. That I told myself, no, you don't have to wait till you're thin to have a red coat. You need a red coat. You need it today. And I got a red coat big deal. But you know, a woman, uh, I shared that at a meeting one time, and a woman came up and told me that um, her thing was she thought that in order to have short hair, you had to be thin. So after hearing me talk, she got her hair cut, and she was really glad because she really loved having short hair. And I thought that was awesome. And I really believe that we need to live today, that this is the only life we have, and we're spending it with, it's, I don't know, it's such self-obsessed BS. Um, you know, I'm going to share about something kind of tacky, but, you know, my mother died when um, in 2001, as I shared. And um, I love my mother dearly. She was terminally ill. She was in this rest home. And um, I was helping her to the bathroom. And I noticed, and my mother and I had the same body, same body type, same figure and all that that um, her butt, like, hung in shreds. She was only 75, but it hung in shreds down her back. And I went, oh, my gosh, I didn't know butts did that. And I thought, well, that's, you know, what I have to look forward to. And I've already warned my husband. And um, I could not have loved her more. I could not have loved her more. That it doesn't matter what it is. And, um, you know, I, I, the reason that I put that lo- book together is I had a very dear friend in program, because like I told you, I thought I had no recovery. And my friend kept saying, my friend, my dear friend Elaine, the one who died, kept saying that, you have a kid, you have a lot of recovery. And I put this book together, and I could see in the pictures and remember what I felt like when I was in my 30s. And I could feel that, you know, I'm out having a life. I'm involved, and the mainstream of life becomes a flood sometimes. And this is from someone who all I did was go to work, go to meetings. This is it. That's basically all I could do. I couldn't date. I couldn't do anything. Um, let's see, I talked about, well, because of that job, uh, I got to retire when I was, right before I got that job, I lost one, which is a long story and not my fault, really. Um, but because of that, because I, got, because I took that job in that mental health clinic, I got to retire um, when I was only 57. So I've been retired almost 10 years, and that is a miracle that I, you know, stuck with it, stayed in program, stayed in recovery. Um... 
Let's see. I know there's something else I would like to share. I shared about work. I shared about my relationship. I shared about the body image stuff. I'll share one other thing about that. Um, I shared this at the meeting yesterday about acceptance in OA. Um, when I was 60, I was putting some pictures in an album, and I saw this picture from when I was 40 that I thought I looked kind of fat in. And I thought, wow, I think I look great. I said, what's, you know, that's really sad. I mean, what if I look back like 20 years from now, and I think she looks, I looked great and didn't appreciate it. See, that's what I'm talking about, appreciating, you know, the life, the now, right now. Like, we never know, and I don't mean to be morbid, but anybody that we aren't thinking about today could be gone tomorrow. Anything could happen to anybody. And it's just, you know, realism. I'm not creating that by, by being aware of it. So I went in and I looked in the mirror and I stood there and I looked at myself pretty good. And then I thought, now, pretend you're 80. And this wave came over me, this entire shift. And I looked in the mirror and I went, wow, you look great. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you are so spry. See, so it's all perspective, and I really want to enjoy where I am right now. And I don't have that without this program. And, you know, there's sometimes I think I'm not doing it good enough or I'm not thin enough, but I can tell you, standing right here today, that I believe surrender is a percentage. It's not black and white. It's not perfect. This is the exact percentage to which I have been able to surrender. I could be some, a little thinner. I could be a lot bigger. So, you know, it's good enough for now, and I am really grateful. And the other thing I shared about is I caught myself, you know, like giving hate mail to my body. Like, oh, my stomach is so big and all that. And then I started saying, wow, that isn't a healthy thing. And I started saying, well, thank you to my stomach. It's digesting my food really well. It's working really good. I don't have any physical pain. And I heard someone in a meeting sharing that she hated her legs, and she started saying, thank you for my legs. They take me where I need to go. And they're working really good. So um, there's a fine line between so many things in program um, for me. Like there's a, f um, a fine line between envy and admiration between anxiety and excitement and by working the program and staying centered I try to stay on the positive sign of that line so if I'm envious of a friend you know I might think wow I really admire her for such and such I try to stay on that side the other thing I learned and I'm telling you in the height of my disease I hated everybody thin especially the darn people in OA who had this blessed abstinence, and I didn't even like them, and they were really thin, and it wasn't fair. And it took a long, and they were boring, and I was just sick of them. And it took a long time before I could start saying, well, you know, they didn't use up my thin. <laughs> and the other thing is that, because I have friends that, Oh, my gosh. I mean, they have so many blessings. Everything they touch turns to gold. I, I could go on and on. 
And I am happy for them. It's a miracle. This is living the miracle. I am so happy for them. And they have a lot of things I wish I had. There are a lot of things in life that I'll never have. And I'm so happy with what I do have. I'm happy to live in a mobile home. I have financial security. Um, But anyway, what I uh, thought about was I have no idea what kind of pain that person might go through in the future. And in another program, I noticed myself, I'd see women walk in who look really good, and i think, wow, it must be nice. And nine times out of ten, they're domestic abuse victims or something really awful. I have no idea what kind of pain um, someone else goes through. <sighs> there was something else. It makes me a little bit nervous um, but I'm really trying to, you know, share the best of my experience, strength, and hope. I hope I say one thing that might be helpful to someone, and the rest of them could work their program. Because I'm not, I'm not responsible for, for the whole thing. Um, there are times when um, I get sick of OA. I've been around a long time. I'll think, you know, I'll walk it. Oh my God, we're on the eighth step again. That's old. It is not old. It is not just about the the big things I needed to make amends for. Then when I sit and I read the the literature, I realize it, and I have notes written in my book what my amends are today. And I have a lot of amends to myself in this program, and my number one amend that I make to myself is to abstain to the best of my ability and to forgive myself and to live in the solution. So seemed like there was something else terribly important. I wrote myself some notes because, you know, I could actually talk for two hours, but um, it's really hard for me to pick out exactly what I want to share. So I think I'll close with this. One time I was in a work um, environment where they asked you to write something about what you wanted to, what, what your tombstone would say. And I'll tell you, I don't eat three meals a day with nothing in between because for me that was three meals a day all you could eat in an hour. It just did not work for me. Um, but it said, and I would see people at meeting, they would say, how are you? And I would say, just passing the time between meals. And that's, you know, how it felt in my life. And I thought my tombstone was going to say, and this is what I wrote in the work exercise. I didn't share it. She thought about food, obsessed about her weight, and died. (laughs) That's truly what I thought. Today, what I think my tombstone might say is, she really packed it in. She made up for lost time. So um, I don't know if I have any time, but I, does anybody have a question at all? You know, I weigh and measure my food because it's the only way I get peace of mind. Because otherwise my brain is always saying, the thing inside, I, I love it when they say, stop eating when you're full. I do not know when I'm full until four hours later. If I'm not hungry for dinner, I think, gosh, I must have eaten too much for lunch. So I have to do it, you know, with my eyeball. Yes, I think that was my time, but yeah. How do you manage the fact of, you know, when good things come your life? Mm-hmm. You know, you start to feel this, uh, like, stress, you feel it. You know, yeah. Like, oh, my God, this is too much. Oh, my God, this is like a miracle. And then you see around people, it's like, those things that happen to others, 
how you manage that so you can keep it because you know you can handle it and you can probably just put it away if you used to do have that much. I'm going to say one thing about that because I started and then I'll close and let, give people a chance to share. Um, because I started with saying I was going to tell you the thing that I'm most ashamed to tell you, which is how happy I am. But, I mean, that somehow that's not okay. I thought other people would begrudge me my good, but they don't. They love me and support me. And if they don't, there's plenty of people that do. It was me that didn't allow that. So what I want to say about sharing in meetings is uh, it's like a Hallmark card. Uh that it program multiplies our joys and divides our sorrows. When we share from our heart good things that happen in our lives, we inspire others because they think good things might happen to me. When we share our sorrow and talk about how we hung in and stayed working on our recovery program, we inspire others because they think we can recover no matter what. And I'll just close with that and open it up for three-minute shares. Who would, like, who would like to start and please come up to the podium? Chop, chop. I don't do silence. Is everybody well? Hi, I'm Leslie. I'm a compulsive overeater. And thank you so very much for your share. Um, I really wanted to come to this one this morning because um, I'm living the miracle. <laughs> and um, in the last two years of being in program, I've lost, I mean, yes, I've lost 45 pounds. And it's been wonderful. And I'm abstinent for a long time now. I don't even count days anymore. I'm just abstinent every single meal, every single day. Um, but I've gone through a lot in the last couple years. I came into program um, with several chronic illnesses. And when I came into program, I hadn't been able to get a bed for years. Um, I haven't worked for four and a half years. And I was depressed. I was had gained all my weight back that I had lost in a commercial weight loss program. Um, and my marriage was falling apart. And... Um, Thing, and thing, and more things have happened since I've been in program. Life has been really hard. Um, my father-in-law has terminal cancer right now. Um, my marriage got to the point where I asked my husband for a divorce. And um, I had to let go of all these things because I can't control any of them. All I can control is what I put in my mouth at every single meal and how I respond to life. And um, the amazing thing that's happened by putting my hand in yours and putting my hand in God's is um, the miracle. I've stuck around for the miracle. Um, when I finally left my husband, uh, God, and, and I let my marriage die, God performed a, a miracle in my marriage. And um, I moved out, and my husband and I reconciled. And we just went on a fabulous week vacation to Mexico where we fell in love with each other again. And um, even though my father-in-law is dying of terminal cancer and our house has a major uh, mold issue and we have to uh, spend tens of thousands of dollars to get it renovated and uh, we have to fly to Israel for his father's end of life, all these things are happening, but I'm doing it every day abstinently and um, with dignity. 
And some days are hell, but I wake up in the morning with no guilt, no shame, and no food hangover. Um, And the thing I've discovered, I've discovered myself in this program. I love myself. It's not only that I like myself, I even love myself. I know who I am. I've I've spent 30-something years looking for myself, like under every rock and tree and wherever. Where am I? Where am I? Who am I? And finally, I've stepped into who I am in this program. And... um, and uh, the last thing you shared about um, that other people get to see uh, the miracle, um, my girlfriend came with me today. Um, she's chosen to go into OA because she's seen my recovery and that she's seen that I've gone through hell in the last two years and I've done it absently and happily and joyfully. And it is, it's a miracle. It's a really a miracle. So thank you for letting me share my recovery. Good morning. My name is Heather. I'm a compulsive eater. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I I loved what you said about looking at yourself and imagining yourself 20 years later um, or earlier. I had a similar experience recently. I was looking, I was cleaning out some files and I found a packet of pictures. They were old IDs and I remember hating every single picture when I got it. I remember thinking I looked fat and weird and smiled funny. And honestly, I was beautiful in every single picture. And I had no idea. And it just was such a reminder to me that this disease doesn't just affect our food. It affects the lens we see ourselves through. And um, I, too, have been looking in the mirror and liking things a little bit more lately. And I think that helped me a lot to have that just accidental exercise that that came to me with probably not an accident, now that I say that out loud. Um, I've been in program for almost two years. And, you know, miracle after miracle. Um, I have, you know, chips and ice cream don't live at my house anymore. And that in itself is a miracle. Um, And I don't miss them. They're they're not something I wish lived in my house anymore. And, um, you know, now organic fruits and vegetables live in my house, and I'm really happy to have them, you know. So that, that's just a little miracle, but there's been so many. I have a good relationship with my adult son. Um, I have better relationships with my friends. I don't have a relationship with some friends, and those are all good things for me. Um, I have a wonderful step sponsor and a wonderful food sponsor. I have a inspiring step sponsee and I have an overwhelmingly amazing um, touching food sponsee and these are all gifts that I would have never had if I hadn't walked into these rooms Um, it's not perfect you know and that's something that I um, I've really had to battle with that you know the perfectionism is one of my worst character flaws Um, You know, so I've decided that my new motto is, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect because it's pretty damn good right now. So thank you all for uh, participating in my pretty damn good life. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. 
everybody. My name's Colleen. I'm a compulsive reader. And thank you so much, Angie, for your share. I really appreciate it. Um, and I'm going to cry. So. <laughs> I just had to get up because I'm so grateful. Um, I've been abstinent almost 11 years, and my top weight was that I know was 311 pounds. And um, for the last, I don't know, eight and a half years or whatever, I've been maintaining a healthy body weight. And um, it's so funny to me because I, I helped with the body image workshop yesterday, and which I've done a number of times over the years. And I always think it's funny because... Um, I don't know if people think, like, I got the whole body image thing figured out, but I so don't. And every time that I'm called to give service in that way, there's another element of it for me to uncover and to look at and let go of and bring to God. And I feel like that's why I am continually given the opportunity to be of service in that way, not because I have it all figured out, but because I'm willing to do the work. Um, and that's that's what I found here. Um, you know, that by living the 12 steps and by sticking to my absence no matter what and making my connection to my higher power the most important thing in my life, I really have gotten a life that is beyond my wildest dreams. And and it's not because I have a bunch of things that, you know, like when I came in this program, I was like, I want to be married and have a family. That still hasn't happened. So, and I, I still want that, but I, like the steps, I had, I, I was a mess. I was such a mess. Like I was so closed off and turned in and like that everyone was out to get me. And I, I had the, I mean, if I could have had like a neon sign, it would have said victim, you know, like, and, and I wore it like a badge of honor. You know, and there's all kinds of shit that's happened to me in my life. It's it's not been a pretty picture, but you know what? I'm not a victim. It's really quite simple. Like I, shit happens. Things happen. Excuse my French. Um, it's all in how I choose to react to it. But see, when I was in the food, I couldn't distinguish. Like it talks about in the big big book about not being able to distinguish the true from the false because I was drunk so I couldn't tell so when all the the bullshit was coming out of my head about how terrible life was I'm like yeah you know and I'm like taking it all in and when I find with abstinence it gives me that pause that moment when I can go really you know, and I can stop and I can question the disease thinking that runs through my head and it still comes through my head. I just don't buy into it anymore because I have the clarity that comes from being abstinent. And with that comes a willingness to be uncomfortable. But when I do that, I have moments like this morning, it was so funny, I got up or whatever and I, I have a daily prayer and meditation routine that I do and, and I'll wrap up with this and... Then I was like, okay, next on my thing was to, to go into the, the hotel gym and get on that elliptical. I don't even know what that machine is. but And I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> and I laid down on the bed, and I was like, I could just go back to sleep. And I just did what I always do whenever I don't know what to do. I paused, and I said, all right, God, should I go to the gym or should I take a nap? And I went, just go to the gym, Colleen. And I went, and I came out when I was done. And I don't know what it is about that, about doing shit that I don't want to do or whatever. But I just looked in the mirror and I just felt a profound sense of gratitude for my life and for my body and for all that, that I'm given on a daily basis um, to do. 
and and I was able to appreciate being out here in the desert and just I don't know I can't really explain it but my heart is bursting and I just had to share it so thank you for letting me share. My name is Laurie, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi, and I have two stories, and it's like, oh, God, which one do I tell? Because, um, well, I'll try to do them both quickly. So anyway, I call Angie my stealth angel, and that's one of the things I've learned in program. And when I first came into recovery, and I was real new, and I was having some weight loss and stuff, just my credentials, <laughs> is um, just celebrated seven years last month, and I'm maintaining a 90-pound weight loss. So anyway, when I first came in and I didn't know what I was doing and I'd be asked to speak somewhere or whatever and I would let people know because I wanted my peeps in the audience and Angie never said anything. But I would get to that meeting and she'd be in the audience. I'd go to get a chip and she'd be there. And I'd realize that she was my little stealth angel and she was watching me. And that's what we all do for each other. We kind of want, we have each other's back, you know. And you guys are all my stealth angels. And that's, you know, why we have to have each other. We can't do it alone. So anyway, last year I was getting to go to Europe and I had to get a new passport. And I had procrastinated like we still do and I had to go to the main post office in Long Beach to get my passport. So I just stopped on the way and got my new passport pictures at one of those little photo mat things where they just stand you up and they take your picture and I get there and there's a long line and there's a woman with an orange vest and she's directing the people in the line telling them what window to go to and I tell her I have my passport and she got first question you've got a You've got $125? And I'm like, no, but I have a check. Okay, then, you can get in line. Okay? So she pulls me out of line, and she tells me to go over here to fill out my passport form. Passport form. And I get out my old passport, and I open it up, and I look at my new passport picture, and I'm like, oh, my God. It's 10 years old, and I look 10 years younger in my new picture. And I'm like, holy shit, I look really good now. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to get to show anybody my passports to see how good I look. So I start showing the people in line. I, like, show the woman, look, look what I used to look like. And I show the other person, look what I used to look like. And... Um, <laughs> And I'm like, no gastric bypass surgery. I did it all naturally. You know? And so finally this woman with this orange vest on, who you would never in a million years, she looks at me and she says, well, you know, I had a facelift a few years ago. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? You did? And she said, yeah. Isn't it nice to like what you see in the mirror? And I thought, oh, my God, yeah, it's really nice to like what you see in the mirror. And then, you know, I left and I went out of there and I said, you know what? It is really nice to like what you see in the mirror, but what I get out of program is liking who is inside. So thank you for letting me share. Hi, my name is Sheila. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Hi. Um, I just want to thank everyone for 
sharing and Angie it was, it was so wonderful to hear to hear your story and um, I so identify and um, I'm so grateful for program and I when I came in I was really I was on my knees I um, I had never I was at my top weight I was 267 and I, I've lost about 70 pounds now and I never <laughs> but when I came in, I didn't. I wasn't ever thinking I was going to lose weight. That wasn't the reason. It was uh, I knew there was no end when I came in. Like I, I had, I tried everything else. I had, uh, I had ten years of therapy as you know for eating disorders and uh, psychiatrist, nutritionist, a uh, whole team for ten years, and um, just uh, it. I never it stopped binging. At any of that time, and um, just I, I really hit a low point in my life, and um, I gained forty pounds in a month, and I didn't even know. And I was like, "There's no end. There just I, I I didn't see a number like where I would end, and and uh, I couldn't. And it it wasn't necessarily about the number. It was that I felt like I was drowning, and just as I was, I, I it was just it was so much pain, and I I. I, I, I feel like um, I'm a survivor. I can survive a lot of things. I, I'm a Hurricane Katrina survivor. So I had, I mean, I knew I could survive things, but I felt like I couldn't live the rest of my life with this, you know, um, with, with the pain that I had at that time. And when I came to the rooms, I was just so desperate to not feel that pain. And... Um, it, so it wasn't about the weight loss at all. I mean, and it was when I came into the rooms, um, I was so on my knees and I was so in fear. My life had gotten so small. Um, I was living, I was living in New York City uh, with eight million people, and I, for a year, you know, all I would do is the only thing that would make would I, I felt comfortable leaving the house for was to walk my dog. And I would live in my apartment. I worked from home. I had delivery. I didn't see people. And um, on paper, my life looked good. Like uh, I was making money. I was whatever. But I and it's what I always thought. Uh, you know, being my own boss and having my time to myself. But I, this disease, it was like the perfect storm for this disease of uh, just isolating and. Um, yeah, it was it was miserable. I, I felt so much fear um, that it was just like oh shoot, it was just like in the big book where I couldn't. It was hard for me to walk around the corner because I thought a car would uh, hit me. I don't know. I knew that it wasn't it wasn't uh, something that everyone. I mean, it wasn't likely, but um, because I was there was something wrong with me that I was like a lightning rod for bad things. And when I came in. Um, just the miracle is like it's so amazing that uh, I, I'm not alone. I'm just not alone, and I get to hear all of these wonderful shares about the miracle that, and I can see that. Oh my God, that that could be possible for me. And um, and now I, you know, I I have a job where I work with a hundred people a day. You know, I interact, and it's just amazing. Just my life is so different, and the weight loss is just a side effect. So, thank you. Um, 
I think we need to close. It's it's time, right? It's 9:49. What time do we close? At 9:50. Oh, yeah. Do you have you can do it in one minute? Yeah. Okay. No. We'll give you one minute. I'm gonna say something very fast. Okay, good. Uh, my name is Carla, and I'm a compulsive reader. And it's a very, very small thing that happened to me. But since I've been like 14 years, 14 years old, I always been uh, wearing makeup because I think I'm awful. So um, I was always like, the only thing I need is makeup. And I through the years I've been investing, you know, like in makeup and makeup, whatever thing. And now I'm working the program. That day I just noticed. I got like three changes, chances t during the day to make up, you know, to do my makeup. And I was like, I look at my at the mirror and I was like, no, I'm okay. <laughs> and then I noticed it like at the end of the day and I was like, oh my God, like I can go outside of my whatever thing without makeup. And I think, I think I'm right. I mean, I'm wearing makeup right now, you know, but, <laughs> but it's like. I think it's okay now because I hate myself so bad that I couldn't go without counselor outside of that. So it's it's getting better. Yeah. And when I when I got to program, I was young and I thought I was old. And today I'm old and I think I'm young, and I s still need my makeup most of the time, except on retreats. So that was a great inspiration. So um, let's close with a third step prayer. Keep coming back, it works if you work it and you're worth it.